Well, today we're in our third week uh, looking at the very encouraging uh, New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians. And in case you've forgotten the things that we've learned in this book so far over the last couple of weeks, uh, let me give you a quick reminder. Uh, Back in chapter 1, we learned that the Thessalonians were a small bunch of Christians. Uh, Even though at many times they sound like they're a big church that have quite a fair bit going for them, there was only a few of them. Though even though they were only a small group of believers, one thing that we have learnt in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, is that even though they were small in number, they had gone on with the belief that Jesus had come to die for their sins. They had stuck with Jesus, their saviour. This meant that as Paul wrote to them, he was writing to a group of believers who had their faith in Jesus. They had let that permeate every single aspect of their lives as they turned from worshipping idols to worshipping him and in doing so they stopped living for themselves and they were living for Jesus. You might remember how Paul described it in chapter 1. They had good works produced by the faith that God had done good things for them. They had a willingness to serve others because of the love that God had shown them. And they had a remarkable endurance, which was simply spurred on by the living hope that they had, that Jesus was coming back one day, that this life is not all that there is, but that Jesus was coming back to take them home to heaven. In chapter 1, we got a picture of a small church, not all that dissimilar To us this morning. But they were a small church that was also changing the world around them. Because as they spoke to Jesus, as they spoke about Jesus to their friends, and as they acted like Jesus, as they served and loved everyone around them, we found out two things. More people became to believe in Jesus, and all the churches in the neighbouring regions found out about them. And use this small little church as an example for what the Christian life looks like. Uh, And then in the beginning of chapter 2 last week, we then saw how important the gospel is for the saving of people's souls. As Paul documented the many and varied difficulties that he and his ministry partners faced and were willing to go through in order that others might hear about Jesus and be saved. And so we saw how willing and eager we should also be to see our community reached with the good news of Jesus. Because the only way people will be saved when Jesus returns is to be found trusting him with your life and not trusting yourself. In the first two weeks that we've been looking at this book, we've also seen the heart that Paul had for this little church. Because quite unlike some of Paul's other letters, I hope that you can see that this one to the Thessalonians is an affectionate letter, isn't it? He loves this little group of Christians. And this is what comes out today as well. The Apostle Paul loved this little group. They were very dear to him, which leads us to this morning where we hear Paul tell them 
how much he misses them and how much he longs to see them and be with them again. But before we begin, we need to consider a question. And that question is this. As Paul talks to us about how much affection he has for this little church, the question that he's going to answer for us is this. What is church really for? Have you ever thought about that before? I wonder if you've given given that sort of question much thought at all. What is church for? We've learned in recent weeks what the church is. It's not a building. It's God's people gathered together. But what is the purpose of God's people gathering together? Now, lots of people I know, church is a ritual that they like to partake in something that they like to come to in order to feel like they've done the right thing before God. As some others I've known through my life uh, participate in church simply because they've got nothing else to do. As some people will come because it's just what they've always done and so things are very comfortable. You don't have to think very much, but it's the thing to do if you want to keep up appearances amongst the Christian community in a town. And then coming out of recent research in the last couple of years, it's very common as well for people to say they're Christian while actually not coming at all. To not participate in a faith community at all while saying that you are a believer in Jesus. What is the purpose of getting together like this. Apart from the prayer that we prayed at the beginning, forget about that at the moment. What is the purpose of us gathering together like this? Is it for a sense of community? Is it simply to catch up with friends? Or is the purpose of our gathering much more profound and important? Well, that's what we're going to think about this morning. But before we get there, we need to work our way through this next part of this remarkable letter to this little church. And as we work through these 17 verses, we're going to see four things described for us. It's actually probably seven things, but anyway, we'll get there. Firstly, we're going to see the gospel bond that Paul had with the Thessalonians. Secondly, we're going to see the gospel concern Paul had for the Thessalonians. Thirdly, we're going to see the gospel encouragement Paul had for this little church. And then finally, we'll see three gospel wishes that he has for them. Let's begin in chapter 2, verse 17, where Paul reflects upon what had happened in the past. This is what he says. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned, By being separated from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. Now, you might remember from our first week what happened when Paul first went to the city uh, of the Thessalonians. Uh, In Acts chapter 17, we read that he had gone there with Silas. And what had happened when they arrived is that Paul and Silas brought with them not just their physical baggage, but a whole bunch of spiritual information as well. 
Uh, They brought with them ideas that had never been heard before in the city. And what they had brought with them was the news that Jesus had died for them. uh, That Jesus was the true king to trust in. And over the last two weeks, we've thought about how this small group of people in that city became Christians. But not long after they arrived, it got pretty difficult for Paul and Silas to minister in the city simply because the message that Paul and Silas brought was one that said that Jesus was the true king, which meant that they were also saying that Caesar was not the true king. Which was not a message that Caesar's friends took very kindly to, which I'm sure you can understand. And they were forced to flee under the cover of darkness for their lives. And here, as Paul begins, he speaks of the agony of that. For Paul, it really hurt being driven away when he had to leave this church that he had just established. And I think the language here at the beginning of our passage is meant to sound like that of a parent who has been torn away from their children. He says, we longed and longed to see you. We tried again and again to see you again. But obviously they could not make the reunion happen. And what strikes me is that it's a very intense way of speaking, isn't it? Especially for this small group of people who Paul had only just met for a very brief amount of time. This is not the way you speak to fleeting acquaintances, is it? If you met someone on holidays, you don't normally say things like, I long to see you, I so desperately want to see you again. My response is usually... No, that'll do, thanks. I'm quite happy to go home and be by myself. We don't speak that way to fleeting acquaintances, do we? But I think that we are getting to the heart of what Paul is saying when we understand his words clearly. Because for Paul, these Christians were not fleeting acquaintances, were they? What exists between Paul and this group of Christians is not a casual friendship. What had been established in those short few weeks that he was with them was a deep and rich fellowship that had an extraordinary dimension to it. And he continues on in verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. You see, this group of people, the Thessalonian Christians, represent for Paul what life is actually all about. The bond between him and them is not just a friendship, but it is something that has been brought about only through trust in the gospel of Jesus. The message that tells us about what has been done for us by the king of the universe, Jesus Christ. 
You see, when the Thessalonians became followers of Jesus, they didn't just become friends with each other. They became brothers and sisters of Paul and his companions. They were not simply acquaintances anymore because the bond between them ran deep into who they were as followers of Jesus. And that is what happens when people become Christians. They all of a sudden have another family that they belong to. Because any difference that they previously had is cancelled out by this new wonderful thing that they have in common. God is their father. Jesus is their saviour. Any difference they had previously was cancelled out because the thing that they had in common was much more significant than any difference or any physical bond they had with other people. Because the gospel bond that they had and all Christians have is one that goes on into eternity. And I have to say from experience, friends, when someone becomes a Christian, it is often the bonds with their Christian brothers and sisters that become stronger than any other family or physical bond that have taken place before. Has that been your experience? I gather it has been, and it has been for me as well, simply because the bond that Christians have goes on into eternity. Which means that for us, practically speaking, as we gather here on a Sunday morning, as we get together for Bible study during the week, I wonder what your view is of the Christians who are sitting around you this morning. Have a look around. I invite you to have a look around. Do you realise that you are brothers and sisters in Christ? The bond that you have with each other is deeper than many others that you will experience in life. All because you are connected to Jesus and therefore to each other. But the problem in many churches is this. We can say that. We can say that we believe that. And we still have a tendency, in my experience, to treat each other as mere acquaintances. Friends, to do this will mean that we miss out on the huge gift that God gives us in Christian fellowship. We miss out. It's like God giving us a gift and we say, nah, it's all right, we'll do it on our own, thanks. If you don't recognise each other and treat each other as brothers and sisters in the faith, then you need to carefully examine why that is the case. And for some of us, it will mean that we need to let go of our pretenses. That we need to be a little bit more comfortable in getting to know other people. Now, the reality is that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Paul, in writing to the Thessalonians, teaches us that we should act as a family. Though coming back to the main thrust of the passage, for Paul, nothing in life mattered as much as the gospel. Nothing. Uh, Which is a message that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has died for your sins. 
Also, that God raised him from the dead. And then finally, that he's going to come back again one day. Paul had visited lots of cities preaching this message, proclaiming it to unbelievers. And in this case, these Christians had believed and they had become family in the process. And what we see in the opening section is that naturally he longs for them. He longs to see them again, uh, to teach them, to be encouraged by them. And it seemed at this point in time that that reunion was not going to take place, which was difficult for Paul, because as we've already seen this morning, he had left them in a great hurry, hadn't he, before they could be fully established in their faith. And so naturally, I think there was a real worry for Paul as to how this little church were going. And so as their father in the faith, Paul had a gospel concern for the Thessalonians. He wanted to know how his brothers and sisters were going. Were they still trusting Jesus or had they turned their back on him? Which is a challenge to us. Are we as concerned for the welfare of each other as Paul was concerned for the welfare of this little church? That would be a good thing to think about. So we pick up what Paul continues to say in chapter 3, verse 1. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. Paul was unable to visit them himself, so he sent Timothy which was a canny move by Paul, simply because it was highly unlikely that anyone in the city would know who Timothy was. So there was a good chance that he would not arouse the kind of suspicion that a visit from Paul would. A Timothy would be free to carry out Paul's gospel mission for them to strengthen and encourage them in the faith. And this is a good point to reflect Because Paul is giving us an insight into what the goal of every single believer should be. As we are brothers and sisters in Christ, our mission is, as we've thought about at the beginning of our service this morning and every single week, our goal is the strengthening and encouraging of every other believer we come into contact with. And we see this next, why doing this then and doing it now is such an important thing to do. Paul continues in verse 3, where Timothy was to encourage and strengthen them. Simply so, no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way. As you well know, for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. We hear again, Paul was worried for these new believers. You see, the pressures of the world were tough for the Thessalonians. Paul and Silas had fled the city under violent opposition to the gospel message and he probably worried that the same violent opposition would come upon them too. 
Just as Satan seemed to have blocked Paul's path back to them, he was worried that the evil one had snuffed out the faith of the Thessalonians through the pressure and opposition that the gospel was under in that city. And so what did he do? Well, he sent his, he didn't just send anyone. He sent his most trusted co-worker in the gospel to check how they were going. And I can't help but think if we had a similar attitude and concern to Paul, then our speech with one another would line up a little bit more with trying to strengthen and encourage each other in the faith while we live in a hostile world. Now, what would this look like in practice? Well, I gather that over morning tea after church, we would seek to strengthen and encourage one another in the gospel, wouldn't we? This would mean that our speech would have to contain less talk of the mundane, everyday life kind of stuff. We talk less about sport. I love sport. We talk less about work. Paul's shaking his head. Or perhaps rain or social activities. We would be focused and steadfast in our goal to strengthen and encourage each other in our faith. And our speech would feature more of the things that really matter in life, encouraging and strengthening each other in the faith. Though we'll come back to that in a little bit. But in our third section, we read that Timothy did come and he came ready to encourage and strengthen. And what did he find? Did he find a church that needed to be strengthened and encouraged? Not really. Look at verse six with me. But Timothy has, now just, has just now come to us from you and he has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. What did Timothy find? Well, he found a church that didn't need all that much encouraging or strengthening because they trusted in Jesus and gone on and lived with him. Just as we heard in chapter one, this small group of Christians had faith in Jesus and they were living for him in every single aspect of their lives. Everything that they did was lived in response to the love that Jesus had shown them. Which meant that Timothy probably arrived worried about what he was going to find. What on earth is the situation that I'm going to walk into, Timothy probably thought. But when he arrived, he found good news, didn't he? Because he found a group of believers who were letting Jesus influence every part of their lives. And letting Jesus influence their interactions with everyone else as well. Which means, I gather, that they were sharing their faith and others were becoming Christians too. Far from destruction, Timothy found this little church in excellent condition. And the result of that good report for Paul is found from verse 8. Paul says these remarkable words. For now we really live 
since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God before you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. I think it's fairly easy to picture the worry Paul had for this little church. Like a parent who has lost a child, I imagine that the condition of the Thessalonians would have played on his mind constantly. Which is something I have to say that Kirsty and I understand very well. Uh, in a few months, Gyra will be the church that we have been at the longest since we've been married. That's remarkable, isn't it? Married nearly 13 years. All the way through college, the longest we spent as student ministers in a church was two years. In Tamworth, we were only there for 18 months. And we were in Mungandai for only three years. This means that the ministry path that Kirsty and I have taken has lots of people in it. Lots of people that we've been in contact with who we are not in contact with anymore. Which means that the reality is, for most of the people that we used to go to church with, we have no idea if they're still walking with Jesus or not. And sometimes the updates come with devastating impact. And this is what picks up Paul's worry. An example of this came up recently. At a church we attended in Sydney... I had a mentor who uh, was one of the ministers at the church that we worked at. Uh, He taught me lots about ministry and teaching the Bible. And when we were in Sydney, he was a constant source of encouragement for me. But recently, I discovered that a few years ago, he was found to be having an affair with a woman who was not his wife. And the news was awful, I have to tell you. Though even worse, there was never any intention to reconcile with his wife, to ask God for forgiveness. And in the end, he just turned his back on Jesus and walked away from ministry and salvation. Which means that he now sits under the condemnation of the king that he once served. And in his current state, according to what the Bible tells us, he will spend eternity in hell, separated from the father. Since hearing the news a few years ago, I have to tell you that I think about him regularly and I despair for my friend, a similar to way that Paul despaired for the Thessalonians, not knowing how they were going. And I gather that this is what consumed Paul's mind. With the lack of contact, I am sure that he was worried for them that the Thessalonians had thrown in the towel. And I suppose for us, the challenge is there. Do you worry for your unbelieving friends and family and your brothers and sisters in Christ like Paul does for the Thessalonians? Though it is wonderful in the passage as well to see how Good news puts all his stress 
away. Did you notice that as well? Because with the good report, Paul's worry is turned to joy. And the liberation from his concern is so great that Paul says he can finally live. He can finally get on with ministry and the everyday pressures of life because this huge, great concern is no longer hanging over him in the way that it was, simply because of the joy that they have brought him. Which we understand as well. With all our lost connections in Sydney and around the diocese over recent years, as awful as the situation with my friend is, it is truly wonderful when we hear about people who have gone on trusting in Jesus. An example of that, I can talk about them because they're not here, is Elliot and Lucy. Uh, Elliot was a youth group kid. We only knew each other for 18 months in Tamworth and then we were off to Mungandai and he was off to Newcastle to study teaching. A young man on fire for Jesus. That is so encouraging after all those years apart. That is what Paul is getting at. It is wonderfully encouraging when you hear about people who have gone on trusting in Jesus. Because with their example, we can be assured that we will spend eternity together in heaven. Which means that if someone continues trusting in Jesus, even though we do not see them face to face, we are assured that they have the most important thing in life sorted out. They know where they're going. I totally get what Paul is saying. A worry is turned to joy because for Paul, the eternity of this small church was organised and secure. Which means that Paul's worry turned to prayer, praising God and also praying that God would open a way for them to visit, to see each other face to face again, to give him another opportunity to speak with them about the gospel again and again and again and again and again which I think gives us an indication of what is to be at the heart of what we do as a church. And this is why Paul writes so intensely here about his feeling for these Thessalonian Christians. And he draws everything together as he concludes this section of the letter with three gospel wishes for the Thessalonians. Verse 11 is the first one. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. Uh, the gospel bond between Paul and these Christians is as strong it has ever been, and the first gospel wish that he has is that they will be able to enjoy fellowship together face to face again. But the point of the visit comes in verse 12 with the second wish. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. You see, Paul has talked about his great love for them, his intense missing of them, his great longing to be back with them. Simply because what has been created between Paul and the Thessalonians has also been created between the Thessalonians themselves. They are a people who had come to know that they were loved by God. 
And when you know you're loved by God and you know how greatly he has loved you and you realise that you are sitting next to someone who is also loved by God, you can't really treat them like they don't matter, do they? Can you? What happens when someone comes to faith is that we all must care about the people who are in God's family because God cares for them in the same way that he cares for you. And so this love that Paul so overtly displayed for them, he's asking them and praying for them and wishing for them that they will also have a deep love for one another, a love that is created by the gospel itself. But did you notice that Paul doesn't just say love one another? The church of the Thessalonians is not meant to be one big love-in of brothers and sisters in God's family. He says that they're to love everyone. Simply because when you know you're loved by God and you're in fellowship with other people who know they're loved by God, I take it that you want to see as many people come into that fellowship as possible, don't you? The church is God's beacon, God's light to the world, showing others how they can be saved. Which means that everyone you know, everyone you see, everyone you come into contact with, you should long for them to come and experience the love of God that you know so well. Paul is not giving the Thessalonians a vision for a small, insular little group who are only going to stick with each other. He's giving them a vision for loving everybody around them. And when you think about it like that, that has to be pretty close to the heart of what the church should be on about, isn't it? Because the church is simply a group of people who get together with each other, who know the love of God in Jesus and therefore love one another and want as many other people to know and love the true king as well. Friends, as the Bible explains to us, we are a group of people who are bound together with bonds that are deeper and more significant and longer lasting than even the bond that you have with your family. Now, for some of us this morning, that might be great news because our families haven't amounted to much. Friends, we all have a spiritual family that we are part of if we trust in Jesus. For some of us, our families are quite good. The challenge if you're in that situation is not to idolise your family over the one that God has given you. Because what has drawn us together is going to last for eternity and it will go on forever and ever. Because the leader of the family is eternal. But more than that, this emphasis that the church is a group of people who know God's love and love one another isn't all what Paul says. Because the church should be a place where the deepest longing is for other people to come into the knowledge of God's love also. We have to be people who are outward looking and deeply concerned for other people to come into the fellowship with God that we all enjoy. Then the third wish comes in verse 13. May he, God, 
Strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Friends, what we are preparing for as we gather like this is not simply coping with life this coming week. That's one of the wonderful byproducts of meeting with other Christians. If you come to church, you should be encouraged to keep living for Jesus in the coming week. And we're not meaning either just so we can go home feeling better about ourselves. Though that's actually not a bad byproduct either if it takes place. Friends, we meet together for church and for Bible study during the week because we are preparing each other for a date further on in the future. Though it actually might not be further on in the future. It could be this afternoon. It could be Wednesday. We're preparing each other for the day when Jesus will return to take his people home. We're a group of people who know the love of God and therefore know that the return of Jesus is sure And we meet with each other to prepare each other for the day when we will stand in the presence of our God and Father. As forgiven people, as blameless people, as people who are ready to go home. So what is the church really for? Well, my summary is pretty succinct. This morning we've heard that the church is a group of people who know the love of God, who know that they are brothers and sisters who are part of God's family. The church is also a group of people who are preparing for the day when Jesus will return. And the church of God is also brothers and sisters in Christ, trying to bring as many people with us to heaven as possible. That's the goal of what a gospel church should be on about. And I'm going to pray that God will help us share his love with others. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your immeasurable love shown to us in the death of your Son on a cross to pay the penalty of the sin in our lives. Father, there are so many benefits from your expression of love shown to us. One of them is forgiveness, though the other one that we've heard of this morning is fellowship with each other as we are welcomed into your family. Father, help us to have the vision that you have and Paul has for what the church is really for. Help us to cherish the fellowship that we have Help us to take seriously the call to strengthen and encourage each other as we wait for your son to return. And we also pray for us that we won't be an insular group of people. But as the Thessalonians were an example to everyone back then, they may be an example to us as well. Father, in that regard, help us to share your love with others. Help us to bring as many people into heaven with us as possible not through our own efforts, but because of the love that you have shown to the world in the sending of your Son. Amen.